listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. In studio, he's crying. Oh, I ate buffet. I had a buffet, and then I had another buffet, and now I didn't sleep good, and then I had another buffet. How you feeling, AJ? Terrible, but I've had zero buffets since I've been in Vegas, just to be oh, clear. Oh, it's just a coincidence. You come to, I mean, are you a sickly type? No, I don't get sick often at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sports batters listen for the money. Sports fans to know more than their buddies. This guy does not get sick for real in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we brace ourselves for episode two of Hard Knocks featuring the Dallas Cowboys. And we've got some news and notes from around the NFL. What is the Vegas lead here on this Tuesday? Well, it's contractually obligated to lead the show with Tim Tebow. Yeah, it was announced earlier today. Tim Tebow, former quarterback, trying to be a tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars, was released by the team. He had one He had one uh, game under his belt with the Jaguars. It was a preseason game over the weekend. It did not go all that well for Tim Tebow. Thus, uh, he was released earlier today by the club. I'm going to start on a personal note. I'm a little peeved. I spent 23 minutes last night watching – uh, an undisputed segment about Tebow's block. And, I mean, let, let's be honest. Shannon Is that Sharp, what they're calling it? Shannon Sharp's the one to, to go to for that. I mean, it was I was schooled on tight ends blocking, and then he gets cut. I mean, they could have done this yesterday, but okay. The odds were moving in the direction of cutting. Uh, not that long ago... Tebow to make the Jags was about 50-50. As of yesterday, Tebow was about 35%. So trending down, and now the hammer, the axe, has fallen. I've got a very interesting question, and I'm going to start with AJ. Jacksonville Jaguars, Urban Meyer, was this whole kit and caboodle from the rumors of Tebow till today a net positive for the team? And if so, why? Net negative, if so, why? Or, well, you can say neutral. I'll go net positive. Uh, I would I would say the Jags probably sold a whole bunch of jerseys from a guy that had really, you know, less than 50-50 chance to make the team. That's a rare thing. Uh, so I, I think the Jags got something out of this. And another thing that they did was in an offseason where everything would have been all over Trevor Lawrence, all the media with Jacksonville would have been about Trevor Lawrence. Some of that heat was taken off of him by having a guy more famous than him in the room. And I think that's a good thing for a rookie quarterback. Why cut him so early then? I mean, he he looks terrible. I mean, you got to make a certain amount of cuts. This is, I guess, it, he made it pretty easy on him. Yeah, but let's be candid. There are certainly people, or at least one player, they didn't cut today, that they're 99% sure they're going to cut. So you keep Tebow. 
maybe play him a handful of plays the next game. If it is a distraction, if it is a uh, a lightning rod, I guess, to get attention away from Trevor Lawrence, it seems like now is when the attention is going to ramp up, not in early July, right? Uh, you could be right. I, no, I, 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 I got to be honest. I think it's an interesting concept. I hadn't thought of. Jonas, what's your net overall take and any thoughts on the lightning rod theory? I just think it's neutral. Um, I, I don't think there was any harm done. I don't think there was anything positive that came out of it. Urban Meyer wanted to try and you know work in a guy that he had a very close relationship with that he knew pretty well. And as Urban Meyer pointed out, I think this was more about special teams, and he couldn't tackle. And that, that was a big part of the problem. And so if, if he was going to be able to provide something on special teams, I think he would have been of some value for them. But he clearly wasn't able to. He wasn't done it. And, and as Herb Meyer pointed out today, he said he's never tackled in his career. So to expect him to come in and be able to do that, it was a long shot and an uphill battle. So to me, it's neutral. So am I correct that he didn't play one snap on special teams? I'm I'm not sure. I'm almost I, I, certain I, that he didn't. Yeah, that's interesting. So they must have known. I mean, in that theory, he was cut before the first game. Then effectively, probably. Yeah. We are straight out of Vegas. Couple other angles I want you guys to comment on if you feel strongly. Number one, Jacksonville was in the national media conversation more than they would have been even with just Trevor Lawrence. I think to some degree you could say some of the attention that would have went to Trevor Lawrence went to Tebow, and that was a good thing for a rookie quarterback. But I would make the case the net conversation, the total amount of national media discussion about Jacksonville went up. That has value, it would seem. Why are the Cowboys on hard knocks? It's for you know, being in the conversation. Number two, Jacksonville is not one of those teams that sells out every game months ahead of time. It seems like that with Tebow being so popular in that area, that giving him a chance is going to buy goodwill for the team and goodwill for Urban Meyer. Uh, Any thoughts on that one? I just I look at the situation and I say Urban Meyer tried to bring in a guy that, that he had a great relationship with and maybe some players around the club were a little bit annoyed by the situation and annoyed by the fact that he was brought in and given an opportunity. But he a lot of guys responded well to him. A lot of guys liked uh, Tim Tebow inside that locker room that was pointed out by Urban Meyer today. And I think he just felt like, why let this go on any longer? It, it, it He was already being made a fun of uh, on social media. He was already being made a fool of on social media by a lot of people. Why let this go on any longer if you felt like there was no opportunity for him to make the team? I agree in the national media, the national discussion, if we want to call Twitter that, uh, was was negative to this entire process. But I do think if you're a hardcore fan and uh, of Tebow, which is going to be a, a nice percentage of the fans in that area, they're going to say, hey, Urban's loyal. He gave his guy a chance. He just couldn't do it, you know? And I think that gains some goodwill. Um, I also think you could make the case that it, 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 it makes Urban Meyer look loyal just in general. And it's funny. It's a funny line between we want to win, all we care about is performance from the player's perspective versus, okay, well, when your buddy on the team is going for a contract holdout, like net-net, the team, you're not going to get any of that money. 
if you're the, you know your friend's money, but what are you rooting for? Because if he signs cheaper, you know, like Tom Brady does purposefully, it is more money to spread around. Maybe get another free agent or whatever. But you also like to see your team be loyal to, you know, you hear all the time, hey, we're going to sign this guy early. We're going to maybe pay some extra money like the Rams did with Goff or, or Gurley. And the theory is they're building goodwill. But is it really? Because every time they make a bad decision with a player, the other player doesn't get that money. It's less money for him to get, and it's less money to make the team better. So really, if you think about it, another player getting a unnecessarily large contract is actually a double negative for every other player on that team. The team probably gets worse because of it, and there's and they're not going to get paid that money when it's their time to have their contract. But I think there's a sense, and AJ, I'll go to you first, that, hey, this is a loyal team. Where do you see the balance of that in general, which is really not a Jacksonville question as much as I think it's applicable here, but a broader question? I think that it's in a way it's about loyalty, but in a way it's also about networking and that's part of the deal you know how you've presented yourself how you've gone gone about your business and your time in the nfl and your time in in football in general that shines on you later down the road and if 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 there's a guy who warrants given another chance given the way he's handled himself that guy's more likely to get it than say a vontez perfect who's probably a lot better football player than tim tebow but isn't anybody's camp for some reason so i think that tim tebow's always been a, a he's always seemed like a good teammate at a minimum he's always seemed like a high effort guy he's not going to be any problems for you i think giving a guy a chance like that there, there's yeah. a lot worse things that you could have done more specifically do you feel that a typical NFL player, and you've been, uh, you know, press pass for the Texans until I think they banned you at a certain point, right? Uh, two years ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you were there for years before that. Yes. Is do you believe the typical NFL player uh, likes it when one of his teammates is overpaid, or? It's a negative for him because he's not getting the money and because the team is going to be less competitive. Where do you think the typical player falls on that spectrum? I feel like at least publicly the typical player will say, hey, get your bag. Good for you. Everybody pretends to at least to be happy for everybody else getting money. That said, there's always if, if there's two guys and you know the team is only going to keep one of them and that guy and guy A gets the money, guy B certainly can see the writing on the wall and he's not exactly thrilled about it. But I think for the most part, players are cheering for other guys to get paid. Okay, that was a long way around to get to there. Jonas. <laughs> I, I, see, I, I think players appreciate when an organization does everything they can to try and keep everybody and pay everybody. Kansas City is the most recent example. I would say Tampa Bay, although they got a lot of guys to come back on, on shorter-term deals, a franchise tag for Godwin. But when you can show other players on that roster, we want to keep our own. We're not looking to shop outside of our own aisle to try and bring in more talent. I, th- I think that does help out. I just don't think Urban Meyer is there at this point with this team. I think he's still trying to figure out who he wants to keep on this team. And oh, I think sure. this is it's going to be a massive overhaul. It's probably going to take a couple of years. But I, you know, you just see some of the reports that came out. C.J. Henderson was a top 10 pick a year ago. He's already on the trade block. Urban Meyer's identified that's a guy I, I'm not sure if I want you know on this roster. Um, and, and I just think that he's going to get to a point to where he wants to reward his own guys. I just don't think he knows who those are yet. And I think the fact that there's not a simple answer to that question shows it's an interesting question because both sides obviously have uh, something to recommend it. Uh, loyalty 
seeing your friends get and your teammates get paid. Yeah. All positive, except for less money for yourself, less money to buy other players. It's a tough decision. I agree. Last point with Jonas specifically, though, in general, being inclined to resign after the first contract your own, not necessarily for extreme money, but having a bias towards that. Whereas all things equal, you'd rather sign one of your own players. And that's what the good teams do because they know those players better and they're not competing as much against the rest of the league where in free agency there's usually a premium and you don't know the players as well. Look at the Patriots. When they drafted well, it was re-signed not even all their guys. Sometimes they had too many good guys to re-sign. They trade them for number one pick or whatever and sometimes too early, but still that's how they did it. But free agency, they were pretty much non-existent, the Patriots. Then they had a few drafts, more than a few perhaps, that weren't so solid. Then a lot of money to spend a free agency. Now, it's exciting, but even Belichick doesn't know those players as well. And I think in general, Jonas is right. Let's and, take our... Oh, go ahead, Jonas. Well, I know. I was just going to say, it's one of the old adages in football. They say the best free agents never become free agents because that team identifies them early and they're not letting them walk. Which makes an interesting point because there's such an advantage to be able to pay after three years a first-round pick because otherwise it's after five if you, the team picks up the option if you want to leave. And then there's a franchise tag potentially. And then a second one, potentially. So they could have you for four years in a way without paying you that long-term deal uh, before you could really get free, which makes it where there is never yet a top-tier quarterback on the market. Like, Kirk Cousins, obviously, we talked about a lot with Dak when that was analogous, perhaps. Though Dak, I think, better. Uh, We talked about uh, Drew Brees, but his arm was, you know, really hurt at that point. And we talk about Peyton Manning, but his neck, in hindsight, people are saying now, a lot of people thought he could never play again. Forget how good he'd be. There's never been... Cousins is probably the best quarterback to hit the market. To me, that's a problem. Because if the only way to really win is have an elite quarterback, and the only way to get an elite quarterback is to hit on the draft, and it's kind of luck... A lot of luck there. Man, it makes the game feel so lucky. And it's back to the whole Belichick is a genius, but how would he have done without Brady? Well, we'll never know. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. So, RJ, there's been a conversation about whether or not Jamal Adams will get locked up long-term in Seattle, and the All-Pro Safety has done that. Earlier today, it was announced that he has signed a four-year extension with the team with a maximum value of $72 million, 38 of which are guaranteed. Okay, so when they made the trade, and this is what we saw in Houston, AJ, with Tunzel, is if you give up a lot for a key player— and his contract doesn't extend long into the future, you're over the barrel to pay him. Because Absolutely. What's, what's the option, right? Is a year or two, and then you know for two first-round picks? It feels like that Adams took advantage of that situation here. Yeah, and that's what, that's what these players like to do. That's why these players, when they're traded, they don't like to sign extensions 
before they're traded. They like to ha- have that control, and it's a it's a good move for the player. And just like the case of Tunsil, I mean, Tunsil's contract was so crazy that agents basically told other left tackles coming up, don't even look at that contract. You're not going to get that kind of a deal. You need to look at the next contract if you want to be that guy. Uh, so, and, and looks like Jamal Adams has done the same. He's broken the broken the ceiling for what safety contracts were. Yeah, so $17.5 million per year is the way it prorates out. That is the highest paid safety in the entire NFL. Oh, by the way, you look at Jamal Adams' PFF grade, he was actually slightly below average, below a starter level. Now, PFF's not perfect, and specifically in that Seattle defense, having a safety that can be, in a way, a big nickel linebacker, that can blitz, which Adams is an elite blitzer for a safety, maybe the best pressure guy the team had on Seattle had last year. But whatever Adams is worth, he's worth the most, I think, with Pete Carroll in Seattle. Still, though, it feels like he's overpaid. AJ, wasn't just a week ago you were saying, we should talk about Seattle. Seattle, (laughs) this is now coming to pass what you wanted to talk about because you're saying, yes, Adams is overpaid. But it was good to overpay him. Yeah, because Russell Wilson, basically, we forget about it because he, he, I guess everything went back to normal and now he's back there. But he was asking for a trade last year, same as Aaron Rodgers. So if if you've got to do what you've got to do to make Russell Wilson happy, if that's overpay a safety, by all means, overpay him. Do whatever you have to do to keep Russell Wilson happy because without Russell Wilson, I think we all agree the this, this Seattle franchise is in real trouble. That's A.J. Hoffman, and I think he's making a good point. We are straight out of Vegas. And the point being, okay, let's say Adams is overpaid by $3 million. I think that's a a, a pretty good guess. All right. Okay. How much is $3 million if we assume Russell Wilson wanted this signing, that he's a big Adams guy, and Seattle knows that, you know, either way, is spending an extra $3 million not only does it, in theory, he's a you know he's a good player, but hey, you're paying too much for him. So net net, that's not how you win. But if it solidifies or at least contributes to the goodwill with your star quarterback, and when we say star, we mean this is a top five or six quarterback. It's undebatable. Russell Wilson, he's one of the quarterbacks that can take you to a Super Bowl and win it. And if you don't have that, you don't win it. And he was disgruntled. It feels like it's almost like LeBron and the you know the planes and his friends on the plane and all the talk you hear. Whatever amount of hassle that is, whatever amount of money that is, it adds up to a small number compared to having LeBron you know in his prime still on your team. Russell Wilson certainly is in that small group. There's five or six, seven players in the entire NFL. That if you don't have them on the team, you won't win a Super Bowl. That's what history says. He's one of them. A.J. maybe has an interesting point. Overpaying is good if it makes your quarterback happy, 
What do you think, Jonas? I don't know that Russell Wilson had as much of an influence on this as maybe you know he would like to think he does because the the report that was out there and this from the Seattle Times and this came this was out in the last twenty four hours was that this contract had been on the table, but that Jamal Adams and his agents the sticking point for them was they wanted forty million dollars guaranteed and the Seahawks refused to give him forty million guaranteed and basically communicated we'll just do this year by year. We can keep tagging you if that's the case. And so all of this was over $2 million, and it was Jamal Adams' side that caved. I mean, if Russell Wilson had that much of an impact, I think he would have been able to call, you know, get in touch with Seattle and say, hey, it's just an extra $2 million. Let's get this done so we can move forward. And Seattle wouldn't budge. Now, that's a fascinating point because it's back to the question we asked in the first segment is if you're Russell Wilson, you're thinking, okay, I got my – there's two ways he could be thinking – one is, okay, I got my guy, and we saved ourselves a little bit of money, more money for me, more money to go around. Or he could be thinking, and AJ, I'm going to ask you which one you think, because you're the Russell Wilson um, seer, I guess, the oracle. is, Or is he saying, you know something? They could have given him the 40 he wanted. Why are they doing him wrong? Yeah, I got Jamal, but I'm mad because they didn't do him right. So it could be spend less money and still get the goodwill, or it could be spend a lot of money and not get the goodwill. What do you think's happening? It's I, I highly doubt that Russ looks at that contract and says, "Man, they they didn't do Jamal right." I, I mean, he's the highest paid safety he, in the league. If he held out for weeks and weeks over that sticking point, I mean, it, it wasn't it just you last week that said, "Don't let the 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 the, the small decimal places bother you. Give an extra million here or there to keep Russell Wilson happy." Seattle didn't do that. They ended up winning the negotiation, but they didn't concede the point. As Jonas said, boy, to me, that could be all good, or it could be like a a, a hollow victory. Yeah, it's tough for me to, to – I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It's just tough for me to believe that Russ, like, that, that Jamal Adams feels like he didn't get a great deal on this either. So I feel like everybody should be happy with this deal. Well, this is a little bit of a life lesson for you, All for right. everyone, is in any negotiation, you can feel good that it went well if both sides said, yeah, okay, I'm okay with this, but boy, I wish I had gotten that. That's the sign – of a good negotiation. So, Jonas, when you're negotiating or your agent, <laughs> the big contracts, leave a little bit on the table, but, you know, make sure you get your uh, fair share. <laughs> we are straight out of Vegas. Real quick now, ending the Seattle talk, no odds adjustment because he was going to play this year regardless. 22-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, the ninth favorite Seattle in the NFL, third favorites in the NFC West, behind, obviously, San Fran and the Rams. Over-under for season wins, Seahawks over-under 10 wins. I don't know if you heard, 17 games this season. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, three-time Pro Bowler LeVar Arrington, and I couldn't be more excited to announce a new podcast called Up On Game. What is Up On Game, you ask? 
along with my fellow pro bowler, TJ Hushmanzada, and Super Bowl champion, yep, that's right, Plexico Burris. You can only name a show with that type of talent on it. Up on game. We're going to be sharing our real-life experiences loaded with teachable moments. Listen to Up on Game with me, LeVar Arrington, TJ Hushmanzada, and Plexico Burris on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from. The release of Josh Rosen, the former top 10 pick of the NFL draft, is now out of work yet again after the 49ers part ways with the quarterback earlier today. So, AJ, you had during the break, you said, let's give Jonas a chance to respond. I said, I don't care. You said, let's be fair. (laughs) So pose the question and let's give Jonas a chance. And what I was saying is, obviously, Kime didn't want to have a failure on his hands with Josh Rosen. When you draft a guy, you want the guy to succeed. Do you not agree that when these guys, we, we talk about maybe not getting enough of a chance, that often it's, there's a good reason behind it because everybody wants these first-round picks to succeed? Yeah, no, I would agree. I just think the fact that the quarterback and coach were both let go at the same time tells me that this was all about they identified Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. That was a better pairing, and that's why they made the move. If it was just Rosen gone after a year and they said, oh, this is just not working, but we're going to keep the head coach, then that would be one thing. But this felt like a wholesale changes because they wanted what was popular at that time, what was hot in the NFL, and that was pairing up a young coach and a young quarterback together and seeing how far you can ride them. But it looks Nothing. like now they made the right call. I mean, yeah, listen, I'm not sitting here saying that Josh yeah, what Rosen... Are we, what are we debating, AJ? Yeah, I, I'm not saying Josh Rosen's a great quarterback. I just don't know how real of an opportunity he got in comparison to some other guys in the league. So, so AJ, what is your point? Your point is that Josh Rosen isn't any good. My I point think is if Josh all... Rosen were better, he would, have, he would have gotten more opportunities. I just don't think he's good enough. I, I, and I think in general that's probably true. But let's be candid. There's times... That the opportunities aren't there, especially with practice uh, since the collective bargaining agreement in 2011. There's not a lot of snaps for the non-starters. So, I mean, you know, we talk about Jordan Love, you know, the lack of snaps he got. So, listen, Rosen, uh, Mackenzie, you've got an interesting stat here. Rosen has played very poorly. Yeah, 600 plays in his career. You go back to 2016, look at every QB that played over 300 plays. That's 68 of them. Rosen was 68th out of 68 by EPA. So, so in general, I think Rosen obviously didn't perform in the field. I think Jonas has a good point is it could have went a different way. And you know what? If it did, maybe he'd be a backup somewhere. I don't think he – he certainly, I think, shouldn't have been the 10th pick. Speaking of someone that maybe is redeeming themselves a little bit, Drew Locke, his odds now have ticked up. So the only two – Quarterback competitions that the odds have changed after the weekend's games. Justin Fields ticked up to 33% chance to start week one. Drew Locke has ticked up to minus 150, so a 60% chance to be the Bronco, Bronco starter. That's up from minus 130. So Drew Locke up arrow, Justin Fields up arrow. Jonas, there's a game of historical note 
with the Ravens this week. Yeah, the Baltimore Ravens have won 18 consecutive preseason games, RJ. I know you've pointed this out, that the Harbaugh's are bullies. Uh, winning 18 straight preseason games would indicate that maybe you are a little bit of a bully, but they can go for the record and tie the record back from the Vince Lombardi era in the 1950s and 60s if they get this win this weekend uh, for Baltimore. Just imagine how much Harbaugh is going to be sweating thinking about breaking a record of Vince Lombardi, preseason or not. It doesn't matter. He's going to be – I mean, the odor will be noticeable, I think. But it, it it's going to be excitement personified. You know what? The odds line up with it. There's been a major adjustment. In the preseason, typically, almost every game, home team favored by two, two and a half. You'll see a little variation. Like – I was able to get three with Houston somehow against Green Bay, right? But that was a little variation. (laughs) If you look at this line, the Ravens are on the road playing at Carolina, going into Sam Darnold's house, and the Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. So this is something we're going to have to talk about it, and we'll continue it tomorrow. On one hand, you got a team that's won 18 straight. That means obviously bullies, but also trying to win. 16-2 16-2 and two against the spread in those games. But now the adjustment to that factor is so significant where this line maybe should be, you know, Panthers 2, 1.5. It's Ravens 3.5. I don't know where to go, but it will be one of the most fascinating games of the NFL exhibition weekend.